0: I should, I'm all good, I'm all good, never knew I could, I'm all good, I'm
1: all good. Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the Phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a Phoenix Tale or a Phoenix Moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own Phoenix tale or your own Phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another Phoenix. Today's guest, Ji Young, tells a story of how her adoption from Korea to an American family in upstate New York is the biggest challenge of her life. It is the one fact that defines her identity more than gender and ethnicity. Hear the evolution of Ji reuniting with her Korean birth family and the emotional repercussions of that reunion to finally coming to understand with great compassion the life-altering decision her birth mother made. Please welcome G. Young. So welcome, G. to Phoenix Tales. I always ask just one question to launch our conversation. And the question that I ask is, was there an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have reshaped the entire direction of your life?
0: For me, that event was when I was adopted. And I guess it's a continuing lifelong event. I was adopted when I was three from Korea. And I always say that out of all of the parts of my identity, being a woman, being Asian American, being a mom, all that stuff, the biggest part of my identity that shapes me the most is the adoptee part of my identity. I think it affects everything that I do and um, sort of informs who I am completely. Can you tell us, you were
1: adopted at three from Korea and you obviously adopted by an American family. Where did you grow
0: up? I grew up in a suburb of Rochester, New York, which is upstate in a town called Fairport.
1: Were there other adopted kids in your family or were you the
0: only one? My youngest brother, there are six kids in my family, four are biological to my parents and myself and my youngest brother were both adopted from Korea. We're not biologically related. We adopted him when I was about 11. So the two of us were adopted in my family. I'm assuming
1: that where you grew up in the suburbs, there was not much diversity. And then more importantly, to have a family that had an adopted child from a different country and one that looks different from the family. So was that incredibly challenging when you were young, when you went to school?
0: You know, it's interesting because while i was going through it the answer is yes but while i was growing up and going through it i didn't realize how challenging it was you know i I didn't have the maturity or the self-awareness or the grasp on identity enough to understand just how difficult it was making it for me because you know i was popular i was like class president of a class of over 500 students I had a lot of friends, I was on a swim team, I was very active and had a lot of friends. So I wasn't cognizant of the fact that it was difficult, but it absolutely was because when I look back on it now and recognize that me wanting to have blonde hair and blue eyes and literally saying that my entire basically growing up, that was a problem. <laughs> and that was indicative of the fact that I was having trouble kind of trying to figure out who I was and feeling good about my Asian identity. And I think most
1: Asian Americans who grew up in suburbs or sort of isolated have a similar experience, except that we don't have it compounded by the fact that when we're at home, we find ourselves the other in our own family. Were you ever able to discuss that with your adopted parents in any way that could have helped you to come to understand what that means in terms of your identity, and more importantly, your identity going forward as you move out into the world? Mm
0: -hmm. No. And I think a big part of that was back then, adoption professionals told adoptive parents essentially to try and assimilate your child as much as possible. And so there was no encouragement of do whatever you can to help your child know about their culture, feel good about being Asian or whatever. There was none of that. It was just give them an American name, just assimilate and just pretend. Like, I mean, they wouldn't say pretend, but basically that was the pop psychology at the time. My parents did basically what they were told. Nowadays, parents know better, hopefully, although many adoptive parents still should be doing more, but they are told now you should do what you can to help your child feel good about their identity, whether it's Black, Asian, Brown, whatever it is. Parents are told that now the adoption professionals know enough to encourage parents to make sure they're trying to do as much as they can within that regard for their children. I didn't ever have the opportunity to speak about racial identity with my parents, I think partially because of that, but also because they didn't have enough, you know, sort of wherewithal and understanding moving in the world as white people to know that they should be focusing on that.
1: I know that for most adoptees and especially Korean adoptees, there's this real pull to, I suppose, find out where you come from and to seek out if possible, which I know the Korean government made really, really tricky for a very long time to be able to find your birth parents. Were you at all able to do that during this process or at any point in your life?
0: Yes, I am one of the lucky ones because not only was I able to find my family, I still have a continuing relationship with them, which is not oftentimes the case. After college, I was able to find my family. My biological father was deceased already before I even searched. So I found my mom and I have a brother and two sisters that are all older than me. But then once I found them, I didn't go back to Korea to meet them for another, I want to say 11 years, 10 or 11 years.
1: Wow. Was there a reason yeah.
0: why? Yeah. I mean, I just wasn't psychologically
1: ready for it. Could you kind of delve into that? I can kind of understand why, but was it really knowing
0: the full truth that you found terrifying? I think when I found them, it was relatively easy. And I think part of me didn't think it was going to be that easy and that quick. No, I was still pretty young. I was 22. I was in law school. And especially when you're younger, you're pretty self-consumed and just thought I had a lot going on in my life and I just couldn't deal with it at the time. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of just kept getting put off and I eventually got married. And then that was taking over my life. It's a pretty scary step for sure. I just wasn't ready for a while (laughs) after I found them. No, I mean, I,
1: I get it. But when you did finally go and meet them, could you kind of articulate what that feeling was like? I've heard other adoptees say it was as if like a question got answered Mm -hmm. in some Mm -hmm. visceral way. I think it's that sense of, ah, my identity, I get it. I look like this person. That sense of connection kind of closes something that closes the questions off for them forever. Did you experience
0: that as well? I did. I can relate for sure with the part that I always say prior to finding my family and reuniting with them, in my mind, my life started as a three-year-old girl. And so the first three years of my entire life were just like a black hole, non-existent, a mystery. I had no connection to it at all. Actually, the first correspondence I got from my Korean mom, she included a picture of me as a baby on my 100 days celebration. And it was the first time I had seen myself as a baby when I was 22 or 23 years old. The mind is so protective of us. When I opened the, the envelope, the picture kind of fell to the floor. You know, It's this little tiny black and white picture of a baby. The writing is in Korean. So I couldn't read it. Obviously it was me, but I was like, do you think that's me? you think that's me? Maybe that's me. I don't know. Do you think that's me? Like, why would they send me a picture of any other baby? But my mind was doing that psychologically protective thing. Finding them again, definitely satisfied a lot of things for me. Oh, who do I look like? I actually look like someone now, you know, it did sort of fill in that emptiness of feeling like the first three years of my life were just non-existent or gone.
1: Or. I was going to say, but I'm sure it's so incredibly complicated that Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, not a fairy tale that you go off to Korea, you find exactly. your birth parents and all of a sudden it's like the rainbows and the clouds and the rain has stopped, right? Exactly. I mean, it's no, much more fact, complicated.
0: Yes. It's really just the next step. It's like the opening of another door. That's also not easy at all. A lot of people think of it as, oh, you find them and like, ta-da, it's done, when really it's just the beginning of a pretty difficult journey.
1: Can you tell us about some of that? And were there moments where did
0: you ever regret uh, looking for them and finding them? I've never, ever regretted finding them. No, not at all. The first time when I went to go meet them in Korea, my American mom and my husband came with me. And so it was like this week long, just celebratory, happy, happy time together. And although I had moments where I'll tell you this one story, we were having lunch with a bunch of extended family, cousins, a lot of people, and we're sitting in a traditional restaurant. So we're on the floor and I'm sitting across from my Korean mom. And in the middle of this lunch where everybody's happy and lots of noise and all that, I just started bawling. and my korean mom which i only differentiate for the purposes of interviews so that people know between my american mom and my korean right. mom but she saw me right away and was like what's wrong what's wrong and i just was like so overwhelmed that i was sitting here with my korean mom when i never ever thought i was going to be able to do that again and so i asked her i said did you ever think you were ever going to see me again she said yes absolutely she was like i Absolutely knew I was going to see you again, which kind of almost broke my heart even more because I was like, I didn't. I never thought I was ever going to be able to see you again. There were moments like that throughout the week, but in general, it was just this sort of happy-go-lucky thing. So I get back home, I realized I was pissed. I was like, wait a minute, like that was just so unrealistic. And so I wrote all this in a letter to to my mom and sent it to her, and I said, I know you're happy that my life is good. I've got a great husband. Everything is great. I know you're happy about that. I'm grateful for it. And all of that is good. But it was really hard for me. And I needed to know how hard it was. And I just laid it out. I tried to kill myself when I was 11 years old. I was depressed. I had all of these problems. She wrote back to me. And interestingly, she said, your brother felt the same way. He was mad that we kind of didn't really talk about anything. We didn't really have any substantive conversations. and About um, you being adopted. Yeah. And about what our lives were really like. And so that was sort of like the first example of how the difficulties played out once I actually, you know, did meet them again.
1: Did you ask the big question? I know for me, the burning question I would want to know is why were you able yeah. to ever ask that? And yep. were you, did you get an answer?
0: So basically, my birth father was, I think he was an alcoholic. He was abusive, and I think he couldn't really keep a job. They were very poor. My mom was going to go work. My two sisters, my oldest sister was old enough to work. And my second oldest sister, I think, was going to go to a school or something somewhere. And then my brother, because he's the boy, was going to go live with our grandmother. And my mom didn't want to leave me with my father during the day. And they sort of heard of this quote unquote opportunity to send your child to America and she could get a great education and blah, 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 all this stuff. Because at the time, missionaries were going around spreading that message. She tells me, we thought you were so smart and you were pretty enough that we thought you could make it in America kind of thing. And so that's how they decided to send me.
1: Do you still kind of unpack for yourself the why and their rationale for it? I mean, you're a mother. I'm Mm. a mother. The thought of letting my child go Mm. in some ways is unthinkable. Mm -hmm. So
0: do you think about that? Oh, please. So I have twins. When they were turning three, so the age that I was when I was adopted, I would stay up nights just bawling my eyes out being like, I cannot imagine putting my child on a plane right now. And what was even more heartbreaking to me was thinking about having to explain it to them because little three year olds, they're little people. Like they know who their people are. They know all that stuff, which that too was so like, oh my God, that was such an intense experience for me because obviously I'd met other three year olds before, you know, I, I have nieces <laughs> and nephews and all that stuff before, but your own children like seeing that and experiencing it and being like fully understanding just how much three-year-olds get what's going on in their lives. That messed me up quite honestly. And so what really, really, even when I think about it now was difficult for me was thinking, trying to explain to my children, especially my daughter, because she's like, I'm a big girl and like mature and I can like, I'm brave type of thing. I was thinking to explain, you're going to go to a new country. (laughs) You're going to have a, different language. You're going to have a new mommy and daddy. There's going to be, you know, strange food, all that stuff. Thinking about explaining that to her just broke my heart. I just couldn't imagine. And so that actually made me really mad at my mom. Again, I was just like, I don't care what the circumstances are. I would do whatever I would have to do to be able to keep my children. I got really mad at her again, really mad. That's another example of one of the difficulties finding your family. And were you ever able to reconcile that? Yes. Thankfully. Yes. Because I was fortunate enough to have my mom, my oldest sister and my niece come and stay with us here about now, about, I think it was like 2016 or 2015 or 2013. I don't know. It was a, a little while ago, but they came and stayed with me for about a month and, um, During that stay, I learned so much more about my mom and her circumstances, why she did it, just how poor she was and just how difficult that decision was for her. She told me the moment your plane took off, she literally fell to the ground, like sobbing. She said she like immediately regretted it. Even just sharing that with you now, that's like so intense. And so it was interesting because on that trip was the first time I felt like I really forgave her. It was this recognition for myself that as an adoptee, especially you grow up and you're like, it's all about my story about why did this happen to me? And this was the first time I was able to realize that before my story was my mom's story and whatever brought her to that point where she had to make this awful decision. I was finally able to have empathy for that. I remember one time, she was here and she had shared so much of that stuff with me and i was, i went for a run i just started like bawling in the middle of my run because i had that recognition i was like oh my god this whole time my whole life had been so consumed with my part of this before my part was her part so i it, really made a breakthrough i think you
1: said it just so beautifully that you finally saw your mom's story for a change yes. right that you were able to see yeah. her perspective because the flip side of how challenging it was for you and for a three-year-old to be told that they're going to be moving is the person having to deliver that message. And again, as mothers, I couldn't imagine the heartbreak of having to do that and allowing it to happen because you had to, and then carrying that heartache with you for the rest of your life.
0: For the rest of your life. Even to this day, if we're on a video call, we still can't speak to each other because I don't speak Korean and she doesn't speak English, but she'll just cry. She'll just cry. So yeah, that's something that has stayed with her her entire life. So where are you in this journey of
1: identity, reaffirmation, reconciliation on some level? Where are you in this process at this point in your life?
0: I am super fortunate because I think with regard to being adopted, I'm at a good place, I think there's full acceptance of this is just whatever my fate was in this lifetime. And also feeling grateful that I have been able to, you know, reunite with my family and to be able to get to this point of forgiveness with my mom. So overall, I think there's a place of mostly peace with that. You know, it still breaks my heart that I can't speak to my mom. I really want to be able to just have a one-on-one conversation with her and that I've lost my mother tongue. That was another thing. As a mom, just realizing just how much three-year-olds can speak. Yeah. <laughs> I used to always think, well, I spoke a little bit of Korean because I was only three, but then I, you see a three-year-old, they're talking. So that breaks my heart that somewhere in the back of my brain is my mother tongue, but yet I still can't speak to my mom. So there are still those emotions, but in general and overall... I think I'm pretty fortunate to be at the place where I am. And is your mom still in Korea? She is. And my two sisters and my brother.
1: When we go back to that moment where you reunite with your birth mother and family, I'm sure that also complicated your relationship with your adopted parents and family.
0: It didn't actually. So for my mom, my American mom, she has worked in adoption her whole life. So she was always very supportive of me finding my Korean family, looking for and finding my Korean family. In fact, she was there with me. And that happened because I asked her to go. And at first, she sort of was hesitant. And then finally, she was you know honest enough with me and said, I just want to make sure that you really want me to be there and that you're not just being polite, basically asking me, which was very kind and selfless of her. And I said, and this was true, I said, anytime I've thought of meeting my Korean mom, I've always imagined you were there too. The second I said that she was like, okay, I'm there. So that's pretty amazing. But so with her, no, totally fine. Not, you know, really any issues at all. My dad is another story and he, (laughs) he's just kind of not interested that much. And I don't know if, Part of that is just because of insecurity. For example, like when my mom was here for a month with my sister and my niece, I brought them up to Fairport where I grew up to meet my mom and my sisters and brothers and everything. And my dad, even though at the time he was living in Florida, he would do Florida in the winters and you know come up here in the summer. You got to get on a plane to get up to New York. It's not a 16 hour flight around the world. you know. So mm-hmm. I would have, if I was him, flown up to Rochester to meet the birth mother of my child, but he didn't. But I don't think that changed our relationship, really. It's just kind of like who my dad is. And with my siblings, no, it didn't change at all.
1: When you talk about this is the pivotal experiencer moment and challenge that has shaped your entire life. I'm sure all of it has to do with identity, but do you also try to unpack that sense of I think most adoptees feel a sense of rejection or abandonment. I mean, how do you come to terms with that? And I know that's kind of a lifelong process for most people who mm-hmm. are adopted.
0: When I say that I think that being an adoptee is, informs everything I do and every way that I am, that's part of what I mean. So I think because there is this innate fear of abandonment that we kind of have to struggle with our entire lives, I can see when I'm being objectively self-reflective enough, how that plays out in my relationships and not just romantic relationships in the past, but all relationships. I can see that very clearly. And especially now as I get older, I, I try to work very hard to counter that and to kind of have everything come more from a place of positivity, a place of love, something like that, instead of like insecurity, fear of abandonment, desperation, obsession. That's kind of like how love has always shown itself throughout my entire life out of one of those needs. And now I work very hard to sort of make it so that it's not from a negative place, from just a pure positive and real and what love should be.
1: Just so the audience knows, your children are also biracial. And because you spent probably a large portion of your life somewhat disconnected from your own sense of identity and understanding and fully fleshing out your identity, how has that been for you as a mother when you're trying to raise two children who also have a complication in the world because they are biracial, of a combination that most people? find exotic or incredibly mm-hmm. different. And I can say these mm-hmm. things because I have the same family, right. right? So how has that shaped you as a mother?
0: Again, going back to my own experiences and how being in BAPI affects everything I do. My mission in life since I was pregnant with my children has been to make sure they feel good about the skin that they're in, to feel good about themselves, to feel confident and proud and to love themselves. And that is all because I didn't. And my husband feels the same way. Truly, everything I do is for them. Even like my film festival, I always say that's a letter to, a love letter to my children. We know as parents of children of color, I actually don't prefer the term biracial. I prefer the term mixed. I know a lot of people don't prefer that, but I do. As I always say, all of their parts together make up one whole. I don't like when people say to me, oh, your kids are half black and half Korean because they're not half anything. Words have power and words matter. And we kind of start from that place of like, you are a whole. Don't let anyone ever make you think or feel like you're half, like less than or anything like that. They can call themselves black. They can call themselves Korean because yes, you are. It's sort of just a constant topic. And it's always at the forefront of how we parent.
1: From the parenting standpoint, because your kids are now pre-teens, right?
0: No, they're 13
1: now. Oh, they're full. Oh, oh, good luck. Having grown up Korean in this country in a very, very homogeneous community and having been the other my entire life, I feel, and having this child, and the way we describe for us is that he's both. He's not mm-hmm. one over the other. He is mm-hmm. both, in fact. exactly. And I know that, We can get strident about certain things, but do you also sometimes wonder? Because Jay and I talk about this a lot that their experience is going to be fundamentally different than my experience and Jay's Mm -hmm. experience of Mm -hmm. having been people of color at that point in history, right? Mm -hmm. So, do you ever find yourself saying, well, maybe I should take a step back because their experience is not going to be wholly like you are Jamal's, right? Mm -hmm. It will be different. And the world will be different for them, whether it's good or bad for them as a whole.
0: It's um, interesting that you ask that because I do sometimes I actually will say to Jamal, OK, you know, the kids will ask a simple question and, and Jamal will just go into this very detailed, historic based answer that is so intense and so informed that you're just like, whoa, that's way more than they were actually asking for. So yeah, there's definitely some of that. We are cognizant of the fact that their experience is different. At the same point, we also believe that we know our black and brown kids are, it's scary allowing them out into the world. The armor for our kids of color is self-confidence, self-love. We do believe that. So we do try to balance out, you know, they're also kids. They need to just enjoy life. Honestly, as far as my racial identity, I thankfully came into that in time. <laughs> it took me a while, for sure. It really wasn't until my late 20s where I finally was like, oh, I am actually very proud to be an Asian American woman. Yeah, I've probably definitely developed. We're all works in progress, right? Can you tell us about your film festival? So it's called TIDE, and TIDE stands for Truth, Intent, Disrupt, and Title. It's a film festival. For filmmakers of color, the submission criteria is that the writer, producer, or director has to be a person of color. That's the bare minimum. Obviously, we hope there's more. Generally, what happens is when there are people of color behind the camera, then there are more people of color in front of the camera. So we've created this platform to help celebrate and highlight those storytellers and to try and help create a more equitable pipeline in the industry. The flip side of it, too, is to create what I like to call intercommunity between people of color communities. My vision and dream for the world is for people of color communities to come together, to work together, to create together, to live together, to play together, so that we don't need the system anymore, the white male patriarchal system that our entire country runs on. You know, I feel like if we were able to do that and just sort of relied on ourselves, you know, take over this country, if not world, in a good way. So that's the other part of the mission of TIDE, is to bring together lots of different communities of color. And then, of course, the allies who who love and support us in genuine ways. And I think we've been really successful at that. And how many years have you been in charge of this project? We're planning our fourth year now. It's kind of incredible the impact we've been able to make in such a short period of time. Last year, of course, we had to go virtual just like every other festival, which was hard. It was really, really hard, quite honestly. Um, but we still pulled it off and it was successful. But we are hoping, thankfully, with outside opening up again, because it's always in November. So we are hoping to be able to do the majority of it in person this year. And then I'm sure we'll offer some things online as well, because I feel like post-pandemic, everyone from now on is always going to want some virtual offering as well. You know, I would like to expand it. I would like it to be longer, maybe a week at some point or longer. Who knows? I mean, I want it to become sort of the recognized film festival for filmmakers of color. So kind of like a Sundance. one of the only, yes, except that we are, even the Sundances and the Tribeca's and the Toronto Festival, tied. the vision from the beginning has always been about just storytellers of color and now especially with everything that's been going on lately I'm pretty proud of that
1: so if you could find one song that either describes your life or resonates with your life what would that song be
0: oh man I, didn't I know get advance notice for this no one. <laughs> I know and I don't I don't purposely because
1: I love oh, the sort of the oh. sheer spontaneity of it
0: Oh my God, it's going to so not be accurate though. So like my life theme song, my brain is racing right now because I'm like, okay, what am I? what's the song that I listen to all the time now? And then I'm like, but wait, Prince is my all-time favorite, so it's got to be a Prince song. And then I'm like, <laughs> wait, no, maybe the, this is going to sound a little bit weird because it's like a sad song. Mm-hmm, that's fine. Right, it's like pounding against my head is sometimes it snows in April Prince. Uh. Yeah, it's sad, but it's about and of course, it's super sad because he died in April. And it's sort of about the unexpected. I think even though it's super sad, it's also there's like a resilience in the song. So I think having been adopted is a super sad fact. But yet I've been fortunate enough to be resilient enough to kind of find my way through it. And to create a beautiful life. now. That's awesome!
1: Yeah. I think it's actually it's it's perfect. So, how can people find you if they want to know more about TIDE Film Festival or any other projects that you're currently working on?
0: Let's see. My personal social media is Big Girl Voice B-I-G-G-I-R-L-B-O-I-C-E. L V O so I C E. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, although mostly Instagram. And then TIDE is the TIDE Film Fest T H E T I D E f-i-l-m-f-e-s-t and that's twitter instagram and facebook well
1: thank you so much julie for doing this i know that your story is going to inspire a lot of people thank you and i think it's a remarkable story so i'm very grateful that you were able to share that with us thank you for listening to today's episode of phoenix tales a show about women overcoming challenges and like the phoenix to be reborn their lives reimagined Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud A little time, a little patience When I got tired of waiting Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud And they gon' ask me why I do it I'ma say this because We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust Pass behind me like a book bag Hanging down a coat rack Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix Tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.